Second Corinthians chapter number five, and I'll just read that one verse we have spent uh, today. Will be the third uh, Lord's Day message that we have had from Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter number five, and it's a just an amazing chapter. As you know, most of you know, if you've read Paul's writings, Paul can be very wordy, and not, I'm not saying that way, but sometimes he has a, one sentence will take like ten verses, and I'm nothing wrong with that, but what we have in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 is like the most concise Christian doctrine um, that's in anywhere in the Bible. I mean, and there's so much packed into those uh, five verses, and so we've read those several times, so today let's just look at verse 21, shall we? 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 21, and then we'll pray, and then get the message um, for today. For he, that is God, hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that's referring to Christ, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a tremendous verse of scripture we have before us today. Just pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, totally inadequate are we as any man, woman, or anyone to do justice to this verse of Scripture. But I do thank you that we have the Holy Spirit living within us. And I pray that he would give the help today, the wisdom, and, and really the power. We sang about the power and the blood. And may that power be upon this place even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this one verse of scripture is precious beyond description as it reveals what God did for us and what Christ became for us. And certainly, the, if you keep in mind, it would be helpful, at least as we went through this, to think about those Old Testament sacrifices, uh, particularly the sin offering and the scapegoat, um, and because that, that really will help us to uh, picture you more and appreciate what Christ has done for us. So, the, the morning subject is a marvelous exchange because God took something from us and put it on Christ and then took something from Christ and put it on us, us who are believers. And so, um, for, before we get into the, the verse itself, it talks about, the, about sin there, and we're going to look at that, what that means, that God made him, made Jesus to be sin for us. But before we look at that, uh, just a few moments, what we were, right? And we need to understand, and most of us probably do already, but we need to understand what we are in the sight of God, and what we were. Now, if we're saved today, if we're believers, then there was a time that we were not believers, right? Uh, no one is born a Christian. You're not a Christian when you're born as a baby. There's a, some people have that misconception. We're not. All right? We're not a Christian until we are born again, born spiritually. And so between our birth, physical birth, and our spiritual birth, there's a gap. There's years, whatever that might be. And during that time, this is what we were, according to God. We were, that's, we refers to those who are now saved, and were, in that verse, everybody's saying here, is our condition before we were saved as God saw us, right? And I will, I'll say, as God saw me. 
and you. All right, so listen carefully. What I've done, you can try to keep up with me. You might not be able to uh, because I'm going to go read these verses. In fact, these verses I've, I've written out in my notes so that I can just read them. All right, and you're welcome to try to keep up. But number one, the Bible says we were sinners. Romans 3.23. Most of you know this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Interesting. There's many different words translated sin or iniquity in the Bible. The word sin here is a word that means to miss the mark. As in falling short of God's standard of holiness. You can think of a target when they look at it. Um, someone's shooting at a target. Arrows, whatever. Very few guys or gals ever hit the bullseye. Right? Well, the bullseye and the target is God's standard. God's standard drops. And from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we learn from the Scripture that God's standard for us is 100% obedience. God's standard for mankind does not allow for one mistake, right? Cursed is he that continueth not in all these things. Deuteronomy chapter 7. James, the only thing was, the Old Testament, that mean old Old Testament. Well, the New Testament, James, if a man shall keep the whole law, yet offend one point, he's guilty of all. So we all miss the mark. We all miss the mark. And in Romans it says it this way, come short of the glory of God. So every one of us falls short. And, and really, we, we really don't, and I know a lot of times they, they try to explain the glory of God as falling short of what standard God has set for us. And there's, there's truth in that. But, plain and simple, God made us to glorify Him, and we all come short of Him. Right? We all come short. When, and then another thing, when the, the people asked Jesus Christ, what's the most important command of all? I'm sure they're thinking he's going to say, thou shalt not murder. No, that's not what he said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So, if there's a moment, a second in our life when we don't love God, We've broken that number one commandment. And we've all done that, especially before we're saved, a thousand times, a million times. For the Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. So the Bible makes it very clear that we're sinners. I need to go on just a little bit more because James 4.17 says this. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, him, it is sin. Have you ever thought or said, I know I should? Ooh. You've sinned right there. Because if you don't do what you know you should, you say, well, everybody does that. Right. That's exactly what the Bible says. All. All sin. So we're all in the same boat. So to speak. And by the way, it's a boat full of holes and it's sinking really fast. Um, so, here it is. Anything we think, say or do, that displeases God is sin. The Bible says God knows our thoughts. And uh, again, everybody does it. Absolutely. That's why Jesus died. Because we all do it. All right, so we're sinners. Right? All right, move along. Secondly, the Bible says we're lost. 
lost. Jesus, uh, Jesus said, Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Interesting word. The word translated lost means utterly lost. Ever been lost? I was lost, remember? In Canada, I got lost deer hunting in Canada. That's a scary thing. And I finally, I don't know how many hours later, I finally made to stumble my way out. But anyway, but I wasn't utterly lost. I kind of had an idea. I finally thought, hey, dumbbell, look, the sun's right over there, so that's west. And so head that way. That's what I did. But anyway, um, by the way, that's my favorite name for myself. When I, when I goof up, I say dumbbell. Because, anyway, so dumbbell, you just look at the sun. But, but, so, but the, this word is worse than that. This word, this word means utterly lost. It means perishing. About to be destroyed. So we're lost. Somebody said we're lost as a blind cat in a dark room full of rocking chairs, all right? With a room full of rocking chairs. That's how that's the trouble that we're in. So, so lost. Jesus came to seek to save that which is lost. And by the way, you know that chapter, right? That's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was lost, but Jesus saved him. All right, number three. We're blind. We're spiritually blind. G John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The word see in this verse is the idea of recognize, realize, come to know, or understand. So it's not talking about physically sight, physical sight. It's talking about spiritual sight. We'll see. Can't understand, cannot recognize the kingdom of God, which is another word for salvation in the context that Jesus used it. Well, it gets worse, right? You say, how can that be worse? We're dead. We're dead spiritually. Ephesians 2 1 says, And you have to be quickened, or that which means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Again, before we're saved, this is what we are. We were dead. The word trespasses is an interesting word as well. It's a different word. And it means violations of God's commandments, a stepping out of the bounds or boundaries of his law. I don't hunt anymore. Just, I just kind of don't. I, but I used to quite a bit. My brothers and I and dad. And we knew where we could go. And we'd be walking along this property. And I'd say, well, there, okay, there it is. There's a sign posted. No trespass. Don't go any further. Because we're not allowed to be on that property. That's the idea of this word for trespasses. We go where God says not to go. We step outside the boundaries of his word. So that tells me, among other things, that we need to know what his word says so we don't step outside the boundaries. Even as believers, I'm saying as believers, we still can do this sin. All right, number five, hopeless. Ephesians 2.12 says and that, that at that time you were without Christ, again, that's what we were, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, that is the great promises in the nation of Israel that God gave all the promise, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Right? So that was our, that's what we were. Now, how about in 2 Corinthians 5.21, secondly, what Christ was. What was he? All right? The middle of the verse, or the second line in my Bible, who knew no sin. 
And that's who's rated Jesus. There's a word for that. Um, I'm sure I'm glad I learned some stuff in, in grammar class. That is what's called an appositive. It's the same as the subject. Made him to be sin who knew no sin. So him is Jesus. He made him to be sin and he knew no sin. That, that clause, who knew no sin, modifies him in verse, verse 21. So it's not saying we didn't know any sin. We probably were. That doesn't mean that we were not saying that we were ignorant of sin, even though we probably were. But it means Jesus knew no sin. All right, let's take a look at some things there. This declares, first of all, that Christ was totally without sin. All right, I'm going to have to turn to the book of Hebrews for this one. Um, Hebrews chapter 4. Now, what does that mean? When we say that the Bible says that he knew no sin, when we say that Jesus was sinless, what does that mean? Does it mean mostly? No, it means that he never, ever, ever sinned. Jesus never had an evil thought. He never had said a wrong word. He never did a bad deed. Jesus Christ never failed to do everything that is good. Remember James 4, 17? If you know to do good, do it not in sin. Only Christ could say what he said in John 8. I do always, John 8, 29, I do always those things that please him, please the Father. Always. Always. Never, he never, no, never lapsed. Never had a weak moment. No. I mean, he had weak moments physically. You understand what I mean? He never gave in. Never sinned. Not even one time. All right, Hebrews chapter 4 says this. Um, verse 15, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched in the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. All right, Jesus never sinned. Did he face temptation? Yes, he did. Right. Many different forms. Not just those temptations in Matthew 4, Luke 4, where the devil tempted him. You know, that's, that's part of it. That was a huge part of it. But he was tempted. Even on the cross, he was tempted. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. That was a temptation. But he didn't do it. He didn't yield, right? So, yet without sin, let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. All right, look at Hebrews 7 and verse 26. We'll take a look at verse 25 also. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26. Here's what we read about the Lord. Verse 25. Um, wherefore, he, that's Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost and come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us. In other words, is proper, befitting for us. Who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So Jesus, when he was out, this is talking about Jesus as he was on the earth and as he is now. And when he came to earth, he was, he was among sinners, but he was separate from them. He never, he never followed them in their sinful deeds. He never compromised and so on. He never went along with their deeds and, and words and thoughts. Okay? Uh, one other passage, and that's 1 Peter chapter 2. You have Hebrews and James and 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> Speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ, 
Verse 21. For even here unto will he call. And that's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other doctrine. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that he should follow his steps, who did no sin. Talking about Jesus. Neither was guile found in his mouth. No deceit and no lying, nothing like that. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were, as sheep going astray, but are now returning to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. All right, Christ did no sin. All right. Now, 2 Corinthians, let's go back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, number 3, what God did for us. All right? What God did for us. And what's for us because it says so, right in the verse. Right? Um, for, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he, again, that's God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us. Now, you notice that the words to be are in italics, which means they're not in the original Greek text, but they're provided by the translators because the, the rules of English demand it. So really, we can read it, for he hath made him sin. It's, it's really the same concept, but um, it's amazing what it, what it is here. And it says, he made him. That is the idea to make, construct, produce, or cause... God the Father caused Christ to do what he did and what he became for us. It was the work of the Father. It was an act of imputing. Right? St. Corinthians 5 talks about imputing. God not imputing their sin under the world. This means not charging us, not holding against us. So it was an act of imputing or charging Christ with our sin, putting it on his account. And requiring payment from him. I got a little bit ahead of myself there, but to understand, he, God did that upon the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Alright, now, what did, what did he make him? Made him to be sin for us. For us means in our place and for our benefit. So three things at least that that means that he made him to be sin for us. Number one, and these are not in any particular order of importance, or, but sin offering. God made Jesus, the Father made Jesus to be a sin offering for us. Okay, um, I do want us to look at a couple of Ephesians. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. And then we'll go back to the book of Hebrews for a couple quickly. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, verses 1 and 2, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling Savior. Now that corresponds to the sin offering in the Old Testament. When the priest would confess the sins upon the lamb or goat and then would offer it upon the altar. All right. So it was the Father who who did that, it was him who, who, who commanded, if you want to call Jesus to do that. It was God, according to Romans 8, who delivered him for, up for us. 
But notice that Jesus Christ also offered himself. He was a willing sacrifice. Um, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews really, really brings these things out. Because Hebrews was written to the Hebrew believers who were being enticed to go back under the law, go back under the Old Testament system. Either to forsake Christ and go back to Moses, or to keep Christ and add the law to it. And both of those things are, are, are errors that, that cannot be done without the judgment of God. But notice in Hebrews 9.27, as, as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of men. And... And then to look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. He comes back the second time, he won't be bearing sin or anything like that, because that's all over. But notice he was offered. One time offered. And again to the Hebrews, the significance of that was in contrast to the animals or who are offered many, 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 many times. Once Jesus was offered. Then let's look to chapter 10 for a second, for a moment as well. Um <clears throat> 10, verse 10. By the which will, that's the will of God, we are sanctified, or set apart, made holy, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest, now he's talking to the Hebrews about the Hebrew priests. Every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So those Hebrew priests that didn't believe in Jesus and didn't believe in the sacrifice, they kept on offering their sacrifice over and over again. Never take away sin. In fact, they didn't do anything. They do not do anything after Christ died. They don't even cover sin. Because those are done. God will not accept any of those anymore. Only what Jesus did. But this man, of course, Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... What did he do? Sat down on the right hand of God. Why? Notice the contrast. These, those priests, those Hebrew priests, those Jewish priests, they're standing daily. Jesus offered, sat down. Why? Because his, his, his sacrificial work is done. By the way, it is finished. He sat on the cross, and that's what he meant. Done, complete, perfected. Now he's in heaven sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. All right? What is he doing? From henceforth expecting, verse 13, waiting or anticipating, till his enemies be made so to for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The idea of per perfected there is complete. In other words, we have perfect or complete salvation in Christ. We praise the Lord for that. <clears throat> All right, that's the one. So the fact that God made Jesus Christ to be sin for us means that, one number one, he made him a sin offering. Okay. Secondly, let's go to Romans chapter 5. It is the idea of atonement. Jesus made atonement for our sins. All right, Romans chapter um, 5. Starting in verse 8. But God commendeth or demonstrated or showed his love toward us 
In that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, that little word for means in our place and for our benefit. Again, there's the idea of substitution. Right? The sacrificial lamb. First Peter 3.18 says that uh, he, he, Christ also has suffered for us the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. We put the death of flesh and put it by the Spirit. All right, let's continue on. Verse 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Right? The scripture says that if those who are not saved are still under the wrath of God. For if when we are enemies we are reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, in other words, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Resurrection. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. The atonement. Jesus paid for our sin, right? And the word atonement is really the, uh, means to bring reconciliation, which is again a huge word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to make one, to change enmity to peace. Jesus Christ paid the price for our redemption. With his blood, he atoned for our sins. Now, the Bible says, and he who bears this out, the Bible says that every sin, every sin, must be judged. Every sin must be recompensed, paid for, right? Everyone. So that's why Christ came. He, he made an atonement. For us. So the fact that he was made to be sin for us, that he atoned for those sins. Praise the Lord. Everyone. Everyone. Jesus paid it all. To him where I put. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it by the Praise God. Praise the Lord for that. He atoned. Oh, he took my place. I should have been there. I mean, I, I mean, it wasn't alive, obviously. But I should have died, and I should die for my sins, but Jesus did it instead. You should die for your sins. But he did. He atoned. Well, then there's a third aspect. Please turn to the book of 1 John. Now, I want you to think, as we're turning to 1 John chapter 2, think of the words that we read at the beginning of Psalm 22. Think of Christ, Jesus, Hanging on the cross and say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I want you to think about that as we read 1 John chapter 2. Because the third, the third thing that we find in that phrase, made him to be sin for us, is the word or the term propitiation. Propitiation. I had to practice that. Propitiation. Hard to say. But 1 John 2 and verse 2, and he, Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Alright? And let's go over to chapter 4 of 1 John. Alright? And verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> By the way, many verses, but, you know, John 3, 16 tells us, For God so loved the world, and he was only begotten Son. Romans 5, 8 says, God commendeth his love toward us. 
So if we want to really get a grasp of what it means to have a loving God, this is it. And here it is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. In other words, here's where we find, in this we find love. Here is love, or this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, many, many religions around the world, pagan religions especially, they do things, and this, I'm saying I have a purpose for this, they do things to appease their gods. And that's, by the way, that's what the word propitiation means, appeasement, or satisfaction. It means atoning sacrifice, means of forgiveness. So that the word is good. The word appease is good, but they use it in the wrong way. We can never do anything to appease God. God doesn't ask us to do anything to appease Him. Right? So it means to, to satisfy the righteous demands, the holy demands. All right, so propitiation, there's at least two aspects. Think about Propitiation. Number one, this involved Christ bearing the wrath of God upon our sins to satisfy God's holy and righteous demand. You say, wow, is God that mean? No. God is holy. His holy nature abhors and hates sin, and His holy nature demands that sin be punished. And what is the punishment? It is at death. Romans 6.23 The wages of sin is death. Christ died for us. In other words, he substituted himself for us. God, God substituted him in reality. And you remember that Jesus Christ originally, now I'm talking about the Roman thing, you know, it wasn't Jesus who originally was supposed to be on that third cross, right? It was Barabbas. So, literally, physically, Jesus took Barabbas' place. He substituted himself for Barabbas. So, in a grander and, and wider and spiritual sense, Jesus substituted for you and me and went to the cross in our place. So that involved bearing the wrath of God. And again, you read those accounts, especially Matthew and Mark, it tells us about the darkness over the whole land, and then Jesus crying out. Isaiah put it this way, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. So in other words, the punishment, chastisement means punishment or discipline. What we deserve, God did to Jesus Christ on the cross. Yes, I said that right. Did it to him. Right? He did it to Christ for us. For our benefit. There's no other way like that. I mean, God absolutely 
punished his son for our sins. Now, we were talking in Sunday school class this morning about a story, and I believe it's supposed to be a true story, that two brothers came to America from China at around 1900. The older brother, seems like the older brothers anyway, the older brother really appreciated his new life and freedom and everything. He went and got a job and, and made money and got a house and, and prospered. His younger, the younger brother didn't want to do that. So he went out and drank and gambled and did all that kind of stuff. And one night he was drinking and him and another guy got into a fight and the, young, the, 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 kid, the young guy pulled out a knife and stabbed and killed the other guy. Well, he realized, you know, obviously what trouble he's in. So he ran into his older brother's house, ran in the house, and he took off the bloody clothes and threw them in a, in a waste basket or whatever and, and put, him, put some of his brother's clean clothes on. His brother had been clean, cleaning up whatever, the older brother. He came into his, in his room and he happened to find the bloody clothes. Well, in the meantime, the police were going house to house to find out who had, who had committed this murder. And they came to the brother, the older brother's door, knocked on the door, and opened, and the older brother opened the door, dressed in his younger brother's blood-stained clothes. You know the rest of the story, right? They arrested the older brother, took him to court, convicted him, killed, put him to death, executed him for the murder. But he didn't do it. What did he do? He substituted himself for his little brother. Now, Jesus did that too, but not for his little brother. Jesus did it for, his, for us who were sinners. The Bible says we were his enemies. But he loved us. So the Bible says, man, Jesus himself said, I say unto you, love your enemies. Because he, Jesus said, you've heard that it's been said, love your, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. No, Jesus said, no, I say, love your enemies. Did Jesus set an example in that? So he took our place. He took our place. So that so we kind of go together. But the first aspect again that involves Christ bearing the wrath of God upon our sins is satisfy God's holy demands. His holy nature demands sin be punished. All right. But secondly, this provides the way by which God can show mercy to the believing sinners in the removal of their guilt and the remission of our sins. Praise the Lord for that. Well. One more thing, St. Corinthians 5, what God makes us. What God makes us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What does it say? Last part of the verse. That we, we made 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Alright? So it was the work of God that caused Christ to be sin for us, right? It is the, the work of God that makes us righteous. Makes us the righteousness of God. Same, same idea. So, that involved God imputing or crediting us with Christ's righteousness. Now, the Bible says it's by faith. Well, we trust in Christ as Savior, the righteousness of Christ is applied to us, imputed to us. And so, and God, and this is something I, I can't, I still, I can't get over the wonder of it. If you're a Christian today, God, when God looks down at, at me, he no longer sees a sinner. He sees Christ. 
He sees the righteous of Christ, and therefore he sees a child of God, a son of God. Now, what did, when, what did I do to get that? I didn't do anything. But I admitted I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. And asked him to save me. That's what he did. Now, the righteousness of God is just what it says here. Whatever it is, the, it, is it means God's perfect character or his quality of being right or just, an attribute of God, and really connected with faithfulness and truthfulness, that which is consistent with his own nature and promises. It also demonstrates that quality of holiness in him, which must find expression in his condemnation of sin. This righteousness is also in Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. So, imputed righteousness. God put our sins on Christ and imputed his righteousness to us as salvation. But it also provided for What's, what we call practical righteousness. So we are to live out the righteousness that God puts upon us. For example, and that comes, that's accomplished, by the way, through God's sanctifying work, the work of sanctification. Jesus, in John 17, when he prayed for the believers, he said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. All right? One more passage, and this time I mean one more book of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and we'll bring it all to a close. But it's great. I mean, um, and obviously most of the message was emphasized on what God did to Christ, what God made him to be, because that's really, we really need to see that, perhaps more than anything else in that verse. But also the fact that we've been made righteous if we are if we're saved. And so in 1 Thessalonians, <clears throat> here's some practical aspects of that. Because the Lord desires that we live righteously. Alright? First Peter he says, Be holy, for I am holy. In other words, live holy. Be holy in, in heart and character and holy and righteous in action. And so 1 Thessalonians. Chapter number 4, verses 1 through 4, then two verses in chapter 5, and we're done basically. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Furthermore, furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you, we beg and urge, as I do there, by the Lord Jesus, that, ye, that as ye have received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Okay, that's righteousness. So you would have been more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that is, from sexual sin, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, his body. And actually, with his vessel there is the idea of our, of our private, our sexual organs. We're supposed to possess them, not let them possess us. Right? In sanctification and honor, that's the will of God. Now, it's not the lust of concupiscence, which is, which is you know, loose living, without, without restraint, even as the Gentiles are still not God. And so many times, Paul uses a specific example to explain a principle. And so, in fact, I, I, with every list of sins in the Bible always starts with 
starts with fornication and adultery, you know, starts with immorality because it's so prevalent. Alright, um, uh, chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. And the very God of peace, Second Thessalonians, or First Thessalonians 5, 23, back up to 21, or 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. All appearance there means people do every form, every form. Don't even, don't even do anything that looks evil. Right? Again, what is, what is the average, so-called average Christian today? What can I get away with and still be a Christian? <laughs> no, that's not the Bible. The Bible's like, what, how much can I give up? And how, you know, how pure can I live? Just got everything got upside down. Many places. Anyway, I, and the great God of peace, sanctify you wholly, completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithless he that calleth you who also will do it. In other words, when God calls us to do something, he provides the, the strength and help, the power to do so. Well, all right. In him, we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Christ, what he did for us on the cross. Praise the Lord for that. Well, I couldn't, I tried and prayed, I wanted to find the best title I could, but not necessarily have to have a title, but what God has done through us, for us, in Christ, can well be called a marvelous exchange. He took our sins, gave us Christ's righteousness, put up the name on him. When a person received Jesus Christ as Savior, the penalty and guilt of sin are removed. Provision is made for us to be saved from the power of sin as well. And one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. Glory to God for that. So, do you know him? Have you received that payment that Jesus accomplished and provided on the cross? If you don't, if, you, if not, you're not sure, that's what we're here for, really. This place is a spiritual hospital that help those who are sin sick and wounded. So, please, I'm serious about that. Heavenly Father, we do it, we ask you today. I pray for those who are not sure about this, where they stand with thee, with Christ. Pray, Lord, that they would avail themselves of the help that's available come to know Christ as Savior, to know Him is life eternal. We thank Thee again for what You have done for us in Christ. And I just pray that the Holy Spirit will take something from the Word of God and apply it to our hearts today. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books, please. And number 122. 122. <coughs> You know, I think about the love of God as you're turning to uh, hymn number 122. How much, how much must God have loved us and wanted to save us? He was willing to do to Jesus the Son He loved there on the cross. All right? 122. The title, one word title, why? Hymn number 122. Why did they nail him to Calvary? Let's stand, please. We're going to sing all three verses, and please, if you're here today, and God has spoken to your heart through the word of God.
and may you realize like never before how much you need Him as your Savior. We ask you, you can come as we sing, you can see me at the door, but please let us, have, let us give us more opportunity uh, to help you from God's Word. Why did they nail Him to Calvary's tree? What a beautiful hymn, what a tremendous capturing of what Christ has done and what we ought to do in response, all right? Why did they nail him to Calvary's tree? Why, tell me, why was he
The hymn writer put it, what language can I borrow? Father, what Jesus Christ has done for us is so great. We're so thankful. I trust that we are. I trust that we have yielded ourselves to the command of the gospel to repent and believe. Again, Father, you know every heart here today. I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God would just continue to impress the Word of God. We thank you that it is the sword of the Spirit that pierces through body, son, and soul, and spirit, bones and marrows, of discern of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we pray, Lord, that will do a great work. And for us who are saved, that we just might again be just thrilled and impressed by the greatness of, of thy love and grace, and that we just might resolve to do all that thou would have us to do, to just surrender our lives absolutely to thee. Please, God, work in our hearts. Watch over us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.